Buenos dias. Good day. My name is Leroy Pacheco, President and CEO of the New Mexico Community Development Loan Fund. We're a nonprofit organization that has been in business for over 30 years. We've made over $112 million of small business loans and created over 12,000 jobs in the last 30 years. I've been working in banking, small business administration, nonprofits for over 50 years. I'm pleased today to bring you a bilingual workbook developed by Dr. Marvin Lozano and his wife, Dr. Michaela Rivera, psychologist. I think you're gonna be excited to take a look at a bilingual approach for Latinos throughout the United States and elsewhere. I am pleased to announce today that we have developed a bilingual approach workbook that I believe will be a resource for those of you that own or run family-owned businesses. You will see the importance of culture. You will see the importance of good planning, good organizational charts with roles that are describing exactly what your cousin, your grandmother, your aunt, your father, your mother should be doing in the success of your family-owned businesses. Come and take a ride with us. I think you'll enjoy it. Come and learn about balancing business, family, and culture. I invite you to take a look at this workbook. You will hear also testimonials from successful business owners throughout the United States. They will tell you intimate details about their own family business and the generations that go back in making sure that culture and family is integrated into the operation of a successful business. Again, take a ride with us. I welcome you to take a look at this workbook. I hope it will become another tool in your toolbox for successful business. Gracias. Hi, welcome to the podcast on balancing business, family, and culture. My name is Michaela Rivera. And I'm Marvin Lozano. Together, Marvin and I have co-authored a book I am a psychologist and have a lot of experience in terms of doing private practice, working with children, youth, and families. I've also done administrative work uh, with state government for early childhood, consulted with early childhood programs. I've also done years in community mental health and community-based clinics. And again, private practice, which includes many hours of work with uh, Latinos. That is actually my dedication, and I really like doing that work. So I had the opportunity to co-author a book with Marvin Lozano, and he is, we are here together today. And uh, it is uh, aimed at helping U.S. Latinos develop businesses, successful businesses, that balance the work itself with family and culture. Thank you, Michaela. I uh, would like to share a little bit about myself. And um, basically, this work that we've uh, put together in this book is uh, a work, uh, a labor of passion, if you will. I began working in uh, uh, community-based lending many, many years ago out of college as a, someone who, who was very interested in helping uh, those that were disadvantaged and socially and economically unable to, to fulfill their economic dreams. 
and over a number of years went through the commercial banking industry in various levels. I was fortunate to have good assignments uh, where I managed portfolios uh, of small businesses to large international um, Spanish-speaking companies outside the country and uh, transitioned from that into uh, teaching uh, entrepreneurship at a community college uh, and saw a need uh, for a product that could meet the needs of folks that came from programs or rather from families where they did not have access to uh, um, small business opportunities. And so I'm, I'm happy to be here with you today and um, share some thoughts with you. Our topic today is vision and mission. I'll have Marvin talk a little bit about that. So in that regard, uh, when we talk about vision, it's basically viewed as the dream that you have for, for your vision uh, for your business. The mission includes what action steps you use to get to that vision. Uh, we hope that this product will help viewers develop your business more clearly. Uh, for those who are following uh, with our book, uh, we've written it with the intent of addressing that, that particular topic in, in the first chapter, actually. So we'd like for you to uh, uh, take uh, away three major um, areas, if you will. The first one being that it's important to start your business with a vision, um, a dream of what you want to accomplish. Uh, the second thing is develop a clear mission. And that outlines the actions uh, that you will take to realize your vision. Ask yourself, how does my business meet a need or improve the lives of others? And that's critical because by meeting a need, then you open up the doors to really providing a good product or service to those that you want to work with. Our guest today is Susan Matucci. Susan was born in uh, Cincinnati, but was raised in Chicago. So she's a true Midwesterner, a sure. chi uh, Chicago uh, lifelong, uh, well, early, early years in Chicago. She attended and received a bachelor's degree at Northwestern there in Chicago, mm -hmm. and then got a master's degree in urban planning out of MIT in Boston. She has an interesting work background, and you'll find out more about it in a few minutes. Susan worked with the Women's Self-Empowerment Project and the Full Circle Project in Chicago. In 1992, Susan moved to New Mexico, and in 1994, founded the Southwest Creations Collaborative which she'll describe in more detail. She's been very active in uh, philanthropic and community-based uh, boards, including Breakthrough uh, in Santa Fe, where she has been the president of the board, and also has served on the Davis Scholars uh, Board as well, which she can describe a little bit later. Um, she has also been active with the International Women's uh, Forum here in New Mexico. Susan is married and has two children. And uh, I think I've talked enough about her and I'm gonna ask her to share with us some background information about your growing up years, but also your professional life that has led you to working 
here with Southwest Creations. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I've known Marvin for many years, and it's wonderful to meet you. Um, you know, I, I grew up in, uh, my dad got transferred from Chicago to Cincinnati, and so we were sort of fish out of water there. My my parents are first-generation Italian. My mom actually grew up in Italy, um, and my grandfather lived with us. Uh, and my grandfather, who I was super close with, because I had three older brothers, and so he was kind of my buddy, um, uh, never went to school in, uh, in Italy or here. So he was basically non-literate. Um, I remember him holding a newspaper if somebody gave it to him, but he couldn't read it. Um, he knew how to write his name. Um, and I remember just uh, how warm and smart and wonderful he was um, throughout my whole life. And um, such a novelty there because it was a very kind of German area. And so my grandfather, Nonno, which is what we called him, it's his grandfather in Italian, he actually was a crossing guard for all the little kids um, in the neighborhood for the schools. So everybody sort of knew him. And he was a very, it was unusual to have an elder, you know, in the neighborhood like that. That wasn't what it was like at that time. And, you know, as I got older and I realized um, his experience, um, you know, when he came over to, he came over on a boat um, because a brother had come over first. Um, he went to go work in the copper mines in northern Michigan. Um, and he said the best thing that ever happened to him was that a donkey sat on his toe and broke it so he couldn't go down. I mean, they would literally dig a hole and then, you know, send the young kids down there. It was really pretty awful, right? Um, and then because immigration was the way it was then, he was able to come to Chicago and get a job at um, Western Electric, which hired, you know, the, the expression WAP, which means without papers, right? That's where all my Italian relatives were WAPs. They came to this country without papers, but were able to um, get great jobs, uh, raise their kids. My parents didn't go to college, but then all their grandchildren were able to go to college. So for me, it was it's so interesting in the work um, that I do now, seeing how closely related um, the experiences have been with many of the people that I work with, uh, but not having the opportunity to be fully welcomed um, in this country and be able to become part. And also the Italian family that I was from was light-skinned. We could blend in, right? Um, and it was more of a novelty to be ethnic as opposed to um, something like, you know, derogatory or to be hidden. So anyway, my family, um, you know, in Chicago um, very much lived in all the Italian neighborhoods and um, it was quite celebrated. And that idea of family was super important um, to all of us. And um, so then I went to college and I, I got super interested in how communities um, worked and flourished. Um, because in Chicago at that time, you know, if you went to this block and this block, that was the Polish neighborhood. And you went to this block and this block, that was the Italian neighborhood. There were very um, specific areas of town where people supported one another, <clears throat> grew businesses, had family connections, and that was certainly true in Mexican and Puerto Rican um, neighborhoods as well. So um, I got very interested in um, how that works and how women fit into that world of work um, and supporting their families. Um, so when I went to graduate school, I worked in community development and I was exposed to a lot of international programs. 
And one of the ones that I was exposed to was the Grameen Bank in Bangladesh, which is uh, Muhammad Yunus has gone on to win a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, one of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. And he would come to Chicago and talk to us about how we would form these borrowing circles, which is what the whole peer group lending models were started in Bangladesh and India, where people had no collateral, right? So your collateral was your word. Um, so five people, five women or five men, but in Bangladesh, in that, in Grameen Bank, it was mostly women, would come together and I couldn't borrow unless you paid your bill. You couldn't borrow until the next person did. So it was this peer pressure, peer support that really helped keep people going in their businesses. And the loans are very small and repeat. Um, and I got a chance to go there and witness it, which was really remarkable. And the thing I took away from that for how it related to the work I was doing in Chicago, though, is if a woman had a chicken in Bangladesh and it laid an egg and somebody could bring that egg to market, she was an entrepreneur. It's much more complicated, right? In Chicago, where I was working with women in the Women's Self-Employment Project, who were trying to start small businesses using the same group lending model because you had to have licenses and everything was much more. So my favorite business was a woman who had a tackle box and it was full of pedicure, manicure stuff. And she would go into the big office buildings in Chicago on break and the secretaries or people, they had lounges and she'd go and do manicures and pedicures or people who were kitchen beauticians, but it was all informal economy because it was very difficult to break into that world, right? Um, and so um, I, I saw that, but what I also saw was that there was such a willingness for, when we formed these borrowing groups, for five people who didn't even know each other to come together to form this borrowing circle and want to be with people that were positive and it could help them and they wanted to start anew. So the lending wasn't the issue, it was more the connection to a market. So I was very impressed by that. Susan, tell us a little bit, a little bit more about the work, the actual work being done with Southwest Creations. Sure. Um, you know, the, the learning, again, with the entrepreneurship from Bangladesh was that I really, and taking it to Chicago, was that I knew we had to have access to market. So if you're going to create good, consistent jobs, you need to have a way to make sure that you can sell your services or your product consistently. So what we realized is um, even though very, everybody here is very talented and artistic, the best way for us to organize was that we would become a, a group of people that could provide production, contract manufacturing production to other businesses, as opposed to doing a vertical chain where we're selling our products. Because when you do the vertical chain to sell your own products, much of your money and attention goes into product development, marketing, and not to the labor force, right? Because the labor force is always the least consideration when people are finding a business. You know, they, they want it to be as cheap as possible. How can made? And ours was upside down. We wanted to create good, consistent, year-round jobs. So we became a cut and sew handwork contract manufacturer, working in soft goods for domestic and international companies um, across the country. How do you see that experience uh, as helping you form your dream and vision for the work you do today uh, here with Southwest Creations? Yes, it had a big impact on me. And um, I am one of, there were eight founders here. 
Um, and, and seven of them are still here. So we've, I feel we all did this together, right? We did different pieces of it, but um, we're all still at it and making sure that our vision and mission was clear. And one of the things that was clear about that was when I was in, um, you know, all, when I was in Bangladesh and had the chance to learn about these international programs, you know, this whole idea of social enterprise for them is not new. They've been doing it all the time where economic development is attached to programming, is attached to other things. Um, in the United States, a lot of that work is kind of thought of as protected employment for people who can't make it like goodwill or people coming out of prisons or other places. Okay. And we just decided that one of the theory of change that we use and we I learned um, and, you know, just from the projects I was exposed to was if you give a woman a chance to earn income, she's going to invest it in her children. And that is true all over the world. So that was the mission and vision that we brought to Southwest Creations, that we were going to give moms and grandmothers and aunties and whoever was in their family an opportunity to earn income and that we knew that would be the best way to alleviate poverty and to have their children have the best chance for success. So I, a question I have is uh, your vision and mission, which is the focus of, of, of this interview, uh, um, is that social change and economic development has been very important to you. Yes. And, and so um, what are the thoughts on ways that Latino and Latina entrepreneurs uh, can work through their business to promote entrepreneurial social justice. I think it it's um, I think it needs to be very intentional from the beginning of your business. I, I know a lot of people try to add it on after they start a business, and that's hard. I mean, I think the culture of your workplace, whether it's five people in a family or you know fifty people here. Um, about what your intention is. And of course, to be in business, I don't care if you're a social change business or not, you have to be able to make money to stay in business. So I think that's an actual really important part. Like um, you have to do business and you have to make sure that your business can cover its costs. Um, I see a lot of people start off with the notion of we're going to start a business where everybody can make this much money. We have all these benefits, but they don't have anything to sell or do to make the money, right? So it's this interesting line, I think, of what is market-driven externally that you can make sure you can make money and what are your internal values um, if you're a family-based business, what does that look like? Or if you're going to encourage your, um, the people that work with you to be invested in their families, what does that look like? And I remember a big example for us was, um, you know, if you're paid a salary and you need to go to your child's school for some reason, crisis or otherwise, you can go. You just go. Nobody says a word. If you punch a clock and you get called from school to go, uh, people are afraid to ask. Other people are like, oh, it's impossible because we're doing production, anything like that. It really interrupts the ability for people to be able to parent and have a job, right? And so I think everybody cares about their kids, but I think in the community that we work with, it's such a focal point of everyday, all day life. And so we give people two hours a month of paid time to be, if they plan it, to be able to go into the schools and work with their uh, teacher and the child to help them make sure they're on the right track. Um, and the way we do that intentionally is that they plan it. So it's not this just reactive so we can plan our production, but we can and it can work. And that also helps job retention. So I, what I'm trying to get is that you can be very um, supportive of the families that work with you 
and that if you just set up sort of a compromiso of what they need to do to make that work and what you need to do to make that work. Um, so I, and, and that if, uh, I think people have said to us, our customer service is so great. And I think the reason for that is because everybody cares so much here because it's, they care about their job, but they care about this whole that we're offering. It's, it's more, this is our home. This is our, you know, these kids are, you know, are, you know, where their tea is, right? So there is that connection. Now, not all businesses are like that, but I think in this community, what I'm learning is, and have learned for many years and love and flourish in is it's, it's, you know, your mothers, your workers, your grannies, your this, your cooks, you know, your cleaners, you do whatever you need to do to make it work. And it's all beautiful. So I think that that is something that we can learn from Latino culture to, that would work with, with any businesses, right? I mean, people will work super hard. Um, and they'll also, you know, value all the other things in life that take importance. So that's what I've learned. Okay. Well, that, those are really, really meaningful, timely lessons that you've learned, mm -hmm. which leads me to my next question specifically for you. But you're saying that basically if the business owner, the Latino business owner plans to, to address these concerns, that's the intentionality. You, you do it on purpose. You plan it yes. and build it in. And yes. that's what you've done. Yes. Okay. Well, obviously, you were very busy doing this major project, and I know you had a lot of people working on the on the establishment of Southwest Creations. My question is, you're the mother of two, right? And you commute to work, right? How did you balance all what it took, all what it has taken and took here, and what family needed up in Santa Fe? Well, you know, my youngest son, I was pregnant when we first got started. I had a two-year-old, and, and that was sort of a surprise, the second one. And this kind of gets at your Latino family um, comments. So I remember we were just meeting. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Like, I'm pregnant already. We're just starting this project. We were meeting in the parish hall, and we were using um, all the stuff I learned from Grameen Bank. They have these 16 decisions that are like their values that people have to sort of agree and memorize and whatever. And that's how you get your job, right? That's about those kinds of implementing values. So we were working on what were ours, what was going to matter to us. And I remember like this, like yesterday, um, I came and said, well, I got to tell you something, you know, I'm pregnant. And they were like, that's wonderful. Congratulations. <laughs> how beautiful. Okay. Now back to work. You know, it was like, oh, this is all part of life, right? I mean, in my peers, when you had a baby, the baby stayed over here or with a nanny. And here we started an on-site daycare for 25 cents an hour where our children, which we still have to this day, where our kids were. So my son, George, my youngest son, drove with me from the day he was, the day I could drive here back and forth and, um, and went to the daycare and grew up here. And my oldest son at that point was already in preschool. So I would, one day a week, I would work at home so I could be there, but, um, you know, it worked. And, um, and I think that they just thought that that was normal and wonderful. And um, so when George started preschool, finally, when he was like four, I think, 
he cried the first day. I said, Georgie, what's the matter? He goes, Mom, you know, when they make you lay down, they make you listen to music. And I said, what's wrong with what's wrong with that? He goes, I can only sleep to the news. So like he'd get in the car, I turn on the news, he'd instantly fall asleep back and forth. So that's how he dealt with a commute. Um, and it was a very rich, I mean, you know, these people love him and raised him, right? And Ben too, my older son, um, it really grew up to be something um, that um, was part of their lives. And um, it was hard when they were little. Um, uh, but also, I have to say now that they're older, I have more time to worry about work, right? <laughs> There's something about the distraction or having the multitask that helps it all feel a little bit more balanced. Then now they're on their own and luckily very happy and successful. And so now I have all that time to worry more about work, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> well, and, and there requires a lot of self-care as well. To keep the energy, to keep the energy going, mm -hmm. to do the work well, at home and yes, officially and, at home and and at, here. At, I mean, you know, here. if this, mm -hmm. if this, this is kind of a question. I think maybe to what Marvin was talking about. If this were my business and I was just the sole owner and I came here every day, it wouldn't, it wouldn't either serve me or I don't think it would serve it. I mean, I have we have a leadership team here that makes the decisions always based on. How does this work for our business to make it work? How does it base for the culture that we're in? What do we need to hold accountable you know, to ourselves and our community? And what do people need? All those things are ongoing all the time. And that really keeps me invested in going. And I think all of us going. We're all smarter together than just thinking one person has all the answers. That's a great answer. And, and it sort of transitions to another question we have. And you've been answering it also at this time, which is managing cultural differences. Right. Um, these are ways you manage cultural differences. Yes. And I've had to look, you know, I'm more, you know, city direct, you know, kind of like self. And I've learned, I, I, I uh, we laugh because I, you know, when I, I will pinch when I should not speak. Um, I let other people <laughs> speak a lot. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and, and I've had to, um, it's just constantly, if I insert myself in the middle of something, like here's a problem and I see it and I'm like, here's what we should do. When usually people have already kind of figured it out and the best way is for people to tell me what they think and then I can offer suggestions and then they can implement it. But making sure that people feel that they're empowered to implement their decisions and whatever, because on the production floor, you know, people are working really hard all day long. Um, and then just decision-making about what happens here. And I think because we've been together so long, people have no trouble telling me like, no, you're wrong. You know what I mean? Like we just hired two new people. And, um, and there's some thought about if you start people together, that's better because then, you know, you're training them together and then you're this. And I said, well, what do we think about that? And I said, what about starting them together? And every single person at the table said, nah, it's not a good idea. And I'm like, okay, you start them whenever you want to start them. So there's a lot of trust, I think, in that regard. We also have very different roles. And I think we respect the roles that, um, you know, I can't sew, which is sort of the joke around here. Um, it's like, oh, that's so easy. Susan could do it. So, you know, they know. <laughs> They know what they know, and I know what I know. And then there's a lot of um, making sure, like, when people have to say things in different languages or, you know, speak in English when it's not their first language, I think there's enough comfortability that they'll show it to me first. Like, is this okay? You know, um, and they bear with my bad Spanish. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a back and forth, but mostly what I've learned is to step back. 
I'm hearing yeah. respect yeah. and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I'm hearing. Well, and I have huge respect. And I think making sure that I, you know, for the people I work with, and I think making sure that you can have respect, but you don't always, you have to train yourself to listen, right? Sometimes, <laughs> especially when you talk a lot like I do. So, you know, we joke, you know, sometimes if I'm talking too much, they'll go through and show up, you know? So it's been, it's been that. And they've learned, you know, we've, we learned how to navigate in this culture and this market. And we're in the United States making money. And so there's a way of doing business and behaving that is also true, right? So I think there's a mutual respect on that we trust how to navigate those things together. So there's learning on both sides. I think is so. What you're I talking hope so. About. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. What, Susan, are the biggest stressors that the women here at Southwest Creations face? The things that worry them the most always have to do with family and kids, right? I mean, I think, you know, they come to work and, you know, we start at 7.30 and it's a, it's a very physical job. Um, so people get tired and there's, you know, you know, there's things that happen on the floor and there's dynamics and everything. But I would say what gets to people, you know, during COVID, many, many people here lost immediate family members mm. here in Mexico um, and, um, I, I, and children and grandchildren. That's what wears people way down. So trying to be a resource for that. Um, trying to get people to share that and know that's not a vergüenza, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that's a big part of what we try to do. If your kid is struggling, you're being a good mother if you're coming up and figuring out how to deal with it. Not that you're a bad mother because your kid is struggling, right? Um, our whole ASIA program is about that. Like if kids need special help in schools, how do you talk to the teacher? It's all about that trust that we build with families that then they, we can be that person intermediary or help them with the teacher in the school setting, figure out how to break it down. Because if you're, you know, you're worried about your kid, you're defensive, you haven't been to this school system before, um, and you feel judged, right? Boom. So start off a parent-teacher conference that way, right? <laughs> so how do you get beyond that? How does ASIA toward the university is our program sure. that works with that? Right. Um, Great program. So I think, though, that um, that's, you know, probably what we all worry about the most, right, is our, our families. It, it occurs to me that what you've been talking about really has a lot to do with the very issues that employers are facing nationally yes. in the United States, that employees don't stick around because they don't feel like um, they matter. Mm -hmm. They want to feel like they matter, mm -hmm. like what they're doing is important. Maybe not as high paying, but that they are important and that they make a difference right. and that there is pride in doing that. Mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, I've been reading increasingly with the problem of hiring people, uh, finding at, you know enough people who want to work that many of them soon leave when they don't feel valued. But right. that's different here. And yes. that's one of the things that you're talking about. Uh, and also, you allow people to learn by solving their own problems, which is far more time-consuming sometimes, but far more uh, impactful. It has a big impact because they learn it, they develop it, they're the end users, they'll figure it out. Right. Um, and it sounds like you're learning too, which is everybody wins. 
Yes. And, you know, when somebody's interviewed here, you know, we evaluate people 50% on their performance in production and 50% on their participation in programs. So when you're here, you have to participate in an adult education program of your choice. Um, we, we do English, GED, citizenship. Some people get their um, associate's degree at CNM. Mm -hmm. um, and um, basically, we pay two hours a month towards the time that people invest in that, their self, two hours um, of their own time. So they're in class four hours a week in something. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes people, they want a job so much that they'll come and they'll say yes to everything. But we say, look, you know, if you have kids, we want them to be in Asia. If you, you need to be in these classes, like on the flip side of what you're saying is that we do... Um, we do take it personally, if you know what I mean. Like you are not here just for your hands. And some people don't like that kind of work environment. They wanna be left alone. So we're not for everybody, clearly. Um, but you know, we have very, very, very low turnover um, and sometimes too low, but like people stay here because of the things that you mentioned. And we also work, you know, my big thing is this is consistent full-time year-round work with paid vacation time, sick days, like you can, you can, you can plan on it. You can, you can know, and what you're, what you need to do is what you need to do. And what we need to do is find enough business and cross train people so that if this customer is slow, which really happened, I was talking about during the inflationary period, there's, we can move you to somewhere else. So it's not like you come one day, you leave another, oh, we don't have work or we do. We've never missed a paycheck, uh, payroll in 28 years. Like that's, this is a stable thing. Um, and if you take care of it, if we all take care of it, we can continue growing and doing. Not that we've, you know, during the recession, we, we laid some people off. We lost a big contract. Some other people had to go part-time and, and we made it through. Um, so, you know, it's, we have to adapt to the market. Um, but we do everything we can to make it work for the people here. The workers understand why you're doing that. Yeah, sure, so, to I'm the just, extent to, of, you know, you I can. mean, you know, yeah, yeah. right. Um, people don't, you know, they want it to work, right? When you have a job, you want to be able to make sure, I don't want to worry about that. But we do every month, we do a staff meeting and we do kind of an open book management where we look at our finances. Um, and we have a little game about what do you think? Okay, what did you see on the floor? Like, what do you think our, here's our goal for production. We have a goal for production every month financially. And then we do a game on people guessing what that goal was, like how close can they uh -huh. get? So people are involved in understanding and they can tell. And I'll say like, what happened last month? Oh, we were really busy. Okay, or we were slow or this happened or that happened. So trying to get people in a very small way on, this is for the whole team. The leadership team does much more open book management. But, you know, just to make sure people understand that that has an impact on what we are able to do. I was really, really impressed and excited about the things that Susan's saying. So I, uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm thinking of is the focus of this chapter is vision and mission. And how vision is really the passion that any entrepreneur has for what they do. Right. And the mission, of course, is, is how do you do it, right? What are the action steps? And, and it's easier said than done. And I'm thinking that there are a lot of startup entrepreneurs or even those that are in business that have struggled and continue to do so in the economic climate we're in and the social challenges that are out there. Um, what are those things that you would point out to them if they asked you, gee, how do I continue? How, how do I keep on keeping on with my vision and mission? Right. That, that you, and you shared many of them 
Arena, I'm just thinking in a takeaway form, what, what would be, uh, what comes to mind? Well, part of it is just like being a little hard-headed, like you're going to make it work, right? I mean, I think that really goes with, I think entrepreneurs, and you can be an entrepreneur in anything you do, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I think, and what I mean by that is you're going to figure it out. It might be different than you thought. So you might have a plan that you're going to do X, Y, Z and sell this, and then that's not working. And I think what an entrepreneur needs to do is, okay, how can I adapt and be flexible in the time that we are now? Like, for example, I mean, during COVID, we made face masks. Um, and um, some other opportunities that weren't what we thought, but you know we were working because we needed to supply them, and it was a great way for people to make money when their families were not working. So we worked all during COVID, um, and so I think that then or looking to see like, well, we like to do X because this is my passion and vision. My product is my passion and vision. Well, mm -hmm. if people don't agree with that or like it, you might need to pivot. So I think that understanding that if you wanna sell burritos and your customers wanna to buy tortas, you need to sell tortas, right? So <laughs> I, I think that there's right. a, there is a balance about when people talk about their passion for their business. And I think we talk about that a long time. There has to be a demand for what you Absolutely. want to do. And so I think being willing to really look at that and, and ask questions and you talk about this in your book a lot about mm -hmm. determining your market. Mm -hmm. I thought that would go talk to people. Do they right. want what you got to sell? You know, mm -hmm. and if they don't, how can you adapt it? So to be flexible enough, and we've got this very flexible workforce that, oh, you want us to assemble this? We can do that. You want us to sew that? We can do that. Mm -hmm. It's not like, here's what we do. You need to fit into us. It's we need to be able to fit into as many opportunities as we could find. And I think that just has to be true for everybody. If what you do is so precious to you, that's beautiful. And it might become a great, you know, hobby. Mm -hmm. um, but if you want to sell it, it might have to be adapted to fit what other people want. So flexibility is really important. I, I, I think, think so. Adapting and pivoting to that I've, market. Needs. Yes. And quickly. I had somebody, we got um, some support from the social venture partners. And I remember somebody saying to me, like when it was, it was before the recession, and he said, Susan, you don't have the money or the time because you feel bad about making a hard decision to wait two months because everything's going to go down the tubes and you won't be able to pull it back up. When you mm -hmm. see something bad mm -hmm. happening, you have to react immediately because that in the long term will preserve you. And that's proven to be true many times. So the lessons there in that one, because we'll, we'll go, after, go across our the points that we've been discussing, the main points today. But looking back at those lessons, it's responsiveness and accepting what you see right not what you wish yes you were exactly seeing. <laughs> uh, but you at the same time keeping your wish your vision in mind yes okay that one thing and solving a problem along the way because I think people become dedicated entrepreneurs when you know you're solving a problem mm -hmm. good parents feel very fulfilled when they know they have done a good job raising their children helping the children learn how to solve their own problems. Yes. And so it, it, the same model operates, from what I'm hearing you say, both on a job site as well as in the family. A lot of these are tra uh, transferable lessons. Yes, and I think what you were saying, I think in the culture that I'm lucky enough to work within, and um, it's, it's true, that is how it is anyway. There's a lot of interconnectedness. So I think taking the wisdom that you can learn from one and the accountability you can learn from the other and mix it together is a pretty great key for success. I, I am inspired. <laughs> I really appreciate the time today. Uh, I think our main takeaways in closing 
is that vision is important because it's the dream that you start out with. Mm -hmm. Mission is important because it's the steps you take to make the dream the reality. And then finally, helping other people through business is a sure way of success because people don't forget that right. if you've helped. Right. So those are our takeaways that we wanted to hear about and you have answered many, many of those in a lot of different examples. And I know that you have others you could probably share as well, other lessons. Marvin, did you have any other No, I think, I think it's been a, a wonderful opportunity to hear what Susan's been able to do here at Southwest Creations Collaborative uh, over, over the years that it's grown to what it is today and continues to help the community. Uh, and, and the key things that, that you've pointed to today, uh, the idea that one needs to be flexible, right. to pivot quickly, to adapt quickly, uh, to respect and value others. Uh, it's important to hear them from you. And, and that's, that's, I think, uh, very, we're for, very fortunate to be here. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Susan. Appreciate it.